This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. This week, you can listen to a sneak peek of Sisters Under the Rising Sun, the new historical novel from Heather Morris, best-selling author of The Tattooist of Auschwitz, narrated by Laura Carmichael. As the launch pulls away with Nora, John, and Ina on board, they hear singing from the wharf. The nurses' arms around each other's shoulders stand proudly, singing with all their might, loud enough to drown out a nearby petrol tank, detonating into a ball of flames. Now is the hour when we must say goodbye. Soon you'll be sailing far across the sea. While you're away, oh then remember me. When you return, you'll find me waiting here. Another bomb goes off on the wharf. Start listening to Sisters Under the Rising Sun by Heather Morris now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Papinski. And today my guest is Sandra A. Miller, author of the new literary suspense novel, Wednesdays at One, which recently released from Zibby Books. Past guest of the podcast, Julie Clark, calls Wednesdays at One a taut psychological thriller about family, friendship, and the price we pay when our mistakes come back to haunt us. You will inhale it in one gulp, and I definitely did. Sandra A. Miller is the author of the award-winning memoir, Trove, A Woman's Search for Truth and Buried Treasure. She's written for the Boston Globe, the Christian Science Monitor, and many other publications. One of her essays was turned into a short film called Wait, starring Carrie Washington. She teaches at the University of Massachusetts Lowell and lives outside of Boston with her family. Sandra, welcome to A Bookish Home, and congratulations on Wednesdays at 1. Thank you so much, Laura. It's so fun to be here. Yes, and it's always fun to talk to another Massachusetts person, too. So I love hearing, like, oh, I used to live right near the University of Massachusetts Lowell, <laughs> right down the road. So um, oh, it's always you? fun to talk with local friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love if you could tell um, listeners who aren't familiar with the book a little bit about the premise of Wednesdays at One and the characters we meet um, kind of at the start of the novel. Absolutely, yeah. So like you said, this is a literary suspense novel in which clinical psychologist um, Gregory Weber's life is thrown into turmoil when a woman he's never met named Mira begins appearing in his therapy office each week with knowledge about this devastating secret that he's kept hidden for 30 years. So Gregory has this very outwardly successful, wonderful life with his wife and two kids, but he's harboring this deep secret about something horrible he did when he was 17. So when Mira starts appearing every Wednesday at one in his office, um, he knows she's somehow connected to his past indiscretion. And the central idea of the novel becomes, who is this Mira? What does she know about Gregory? And is there a chance that he can find redemption through her? Yeah, it definitely kept me guessing and changing my mind as I, as I kept reading along. And, you know, I wondered if, if um, you knew for sure, kind of at the start, what you wanted to happen to all of these characters and um, kind of even where you wanted things to end. Um, so where did the book start for you? And was it kind of a winding road writing or did you know kind of right away um, how you wanted it all to go? 
Yeah, that's actually um, one of the most unique things um, in my experience about writing this book was the idea came to me 30 years ago when my husband, who's a clinical psychologist, like like Gregory, but not guilty like Gregory, um, <laughs> and he had this woman, um, a client who began to stalk him and stalk our family. And I became very intrigued by the idea of um, this role reversal in therapy. What if the therapist who's usually in control suddenly is the vulnerable one? And what if the client who usually feels vulnerable suddenly has control because she has some secret information about her therapist? Um, I wasn't interested in the stalker idea as it haunted our lives for many, many years, but I was interested in a novel in which the therapist has done something wrong and a client knows about it. So that idea stayed with me for many years. I tried to write it and I couldn't do it. I think I think it was too close to home for me, um, the situation that happened with, with my husband, Stalker. And so I shelved the idea. And then it was during the pandemic, um, the summer of 2020, when we were all isolated and fearing this dreadful disease that seemed to be out there coming for our families or our lives at any moment. And it um, kind of put me in touch with that old fear of the stalker. And a few other things led up to this moment. But ultimately, what happened is in the summer of 2020, I sat down to write this book and I wrote it in three months. It, it came to me like a download. And I won't say that I knew the story as it was going to unfold or the specific details or who these characters were. But every day I showed up at my desk and vowed to do a thousand words a day. And every day the characters showed up. And as a result, they revealed themselves to me over those next three months. And the story unfolded as much to my surprise as I hope it does to the readers, because I didn't know who these characters were to start with, which is an unusual way to go into a novel, not even sure who your protagonist is. But what happened is... so interesting. Yeah, I think it created a really sort of surprising novel because um, because they they appeared to me in, in ways that that delighted and surprised and shocked me. And I tried to, um, and I think I did create that sense for the reader too, or at least I hope I did. So, so that's what it was. It was a, it was a three month and wow. Um, I don't know that I'll ever get another gift like that again, where a novel is that easy to write, but this one, this one really was. I love how you, how you put that though, because it's coming to you, as you're saying, like a download and the characters are really showing up, but you know, it's also coming because you're sitting down and doing that thousand words every day. So I, I think that's just interesting to hear as a as a fellow kind of like aspiring novelist, like, okay, inspiration yeah, I, might come, but only if you're sitting there, you know, putting right, the work I, in. So I think that's true with any project, right? Um, a friend of mine always says 100 commit. 100% commitment to the project, no attachment to outcome. And mm. in this case, I had 100% commitment to that project. And the characters were like, hey, you're here. Uh, we're going to be here with you. It was, it was, um, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert and her book, Big Magic. I was just going to say, it makes me think of Big Magic. <laughs> it, it is. She's, she says it so beautifully and articulately as only Elizabeth Gilbert can with, you know, a little wink and some magic. But she says there's like fairy dust. And it felt like it felt like fairy dust. Um, it was very exciting because something would happen with one of the characters and I would be so shocked 
um, for example, a couple of the reveals that you know about, but probably your listeners don't. And the character would reveal themselves and they would, they would surprise me in some way. And I'd run into the other room and I'd say to my husband, guess what? Mira did this or Phil did this. Or <laughs> did this. And then I'd run back and I'd keep writing. So um, I know that a lot of conversations um, about writing talk about pantsers versus plotters, right? Pantsers by the seat of your pants, you make the story up versus the plotter who plots it out very carefully. Um, uh, prior to this, I was a plotter, but, um, but darn, this book turned me into a pantser, like, you know, card carrying. Yeah. yeah. In a very sort of like mystical way too. I think that's um, so cool. And yeah, for any listeners who um, have not read Big, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, they should definitely pick it up. I just think it's, it's one of my favorite writing books. I, I love the way she talks about creativity and yeah, that whole I- idea of sort of inspiration helping you along, but only if you're sort of sitting there at the desk, you know, in position ready. So um, I thought that, I, I just think that's cool that that's sort of um, similar to how this this process went. Um, and, you know, you're talking a little bit about kind of switching from plotter to pantser, but you also were kind of switching gears from memoir to fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of how did, how did that kind of turn happen? And was that just because you had the idea for the novel or had you always wanted to write fiction? I had always wanted to write fiction, and I did a um, an MFA at Vermont College, a low residency in fiction, and I have that MFA novel in a drawer somewhere that got an agent but didn't get a sale, and that was a long time ago. And then I had my children, and I have they're both in their early twenties right now and living in Manhattan. And what happened in those years? those early years of motherhood is I didn't have room for fiction. I didn't have room to create big imaginary worlds that were fully fleshed out. Um, There was enough, (laughs) there's enough drama and um, you know, my world was, my world was big enough with all that was going on in my life with two children. My sister got very sick. She lives abroad. And so I couldn't create those worlds, but what I could do, maybe it was the low hanging fruit, but it it was what was available to me, which was telling my own stories from my life. And um, so I wrote a lot of essays in that time. I did a lot of journalism for the Boston Globe. And I found that, um, that that was, that was right there on top the feelings, the stories, um, something would happen with my husband and I'd go and write it into an essay to the point that sometimes we'd be out doing something and he'd look at me and he'd say, you're going to write about this, aren't you? And I'd go, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, he was a great sport about it. Um, my children, unfortunately came of age and with mommy blogging. So there's some of that, but nothing too, um, nothing too embarrassing or scandalous. But it was then there was a time that I was really struggling. My children were in middle school, really moving away from needing me all the time. Um, My mom was dying and I started to um, get interested in doing this treasure hunt in New York City. I was looking for $10,000 in gold coins that were buried somewhere in New York. And this is where this idea from my memoir came. The search for actual treasure chest and the search for something deeper in our lives that, in my case, meant a connection 
to my mother who um, I was about to lose before I had her. So, um, and that quest for that women go through in midlife when they say, you know, what's, what am I looking for? What's the point of this beyond, beyond family and motherhood, it's the deeper quest in life. So those three storylines came together and what became my memoir Trove. And um, that was the story I had to tell then. But lo and behold, when my kids were out of the house, there was the pandemic, they were out at college and that's when I had room for fiction. So I would say to any um, people who are writers, particularly women, um, if you if you happen to be a mother and you're beating yourself up because you don't have enough time or you're not producing the work you want to work, produce, then give yourself a whole load of grace because it's really, really hard to find room for fictional stories, I think, Um when you're living a big story. So um, you're speaking to me right now. Two very young kids. They're four and six. Yeah, and, no, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah, then. The, the fiction writing is taking much longer than I <laughs> would hope. And uh, even now, this is like the second week I actually have them both at school. And still it's like, oh, it's more of a slog than I anticipated and I think some of it is yeah so much of that like emotional and mental space just goes to you know motherhood and all of that so it's it's and helpful to hear that there are seasons of it you yeah, know oh for sure and we're so hard on ourselves right um we do so much we we work and we do podcasts and we raise children and we cook beautiful meals and we have friendships and create our family social life and and yet we say, I can't believe I don't have a novel finished. <laughs> like, you know, yes. we, have, we have to cut ourselves some slack because it's just not easily done. And I had, I had the determination to do it. It wasn't about determination or ability. It was simply about something about space and energy. And when that space and energy were there, that's, that's when it happened. But I would say that the thing to do is to never stop writing. Um, yep keep telling stories, find stories, even find ways to publish essays and get your name out there. This is, you know, to anybody who's aspiring to be a writer while mothering. And there are ways to stay very connected to the literary world or to the writing world and build, build your, build your portfolio. And then when, when the time is right, the book will be there. Yeah. And I just love the idea of giving yourself some, some grace and, uh, during yeah. those hard, those harder seasons. Well, you know, I'm curious too if maybe a writing community has been a part of your journey in some of these different, you know, seasons of of writing. Has that been something that's helped you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like maybe I didn't. Um, here I am beating myself up again. I should have built more of a community. What I had was, um, and still have, are many wonderful friends who are writers and. Um, I teach at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, as you said, and um, I have some very good friends there that I, um, we talk writing. We, talk, we, we both, um, for example, my friend Maureen, she and I published memoirs within a few months of each other. And I don't think we talked about anything else for two years. Um, so I feel like absolutely, if you're doing this in a vacuum, um, go out and get yourself some writing friends. I say it to my students to um, look at the people in the class connect with the people in the class because you're going to need other writers to support you on this journey. Um, just don't try to go it alone. I think the people who go it alone um, suffer unnecessarily and 
um, success comes much more slowly because they don't have they don't have the feedback, they don't have the support, they don't have the encouragement. I can run an essay over to my friend Margaret, who lives across the street, and I can show it to her and stand there in the kitchen eating graham crackers while she reads it and corrects it, and then I'll run home <laughs> and make the changes. And that's invaluable that I have that. Um, so the community was absolute has absolutely been supportive. My friend Eric and I we get together every couple of months and drink too much wine and just you know, screech about our writing issues and situation and how much we love it and hate it. So, so yeah, yay for writing communities, however you build yeah, them. I yeah. love that. And, you know, I would imagine too, um, cause I'm curious to, to hear more about kind of being part of Zivi books and that sort of, at least from kind of looking online on the outside, it definitely seems like a very sort of lovely community to be a part of, a very sort of supportive environment. That's what it sort of seems like anyway. I'm curious what that's been like in terms of bringing this book out into the world. And um, and I guess too, just backing up a little bit of kind of how that process um, worked in terms of like getting an agent and getting, you know, picked up by Zippy Books, what that was like. Yeah, I felt really lucky. Sometimes I think I fell into the cream with this one. It was, um, I had finished the book in summer of 2020, like I said, and you know my three-month project. And I felt like I had something with this book. And I took about a year to revise it, to show it to said friends in the writing community um, who were indispensable in giving me feedback, giving me notes, helping revision. And then in the late summer and fall, I was ready to start submitting it. I sent it to a few agents, got nibbles, but no takers. And then I saw that Zibby Owens, who had um, had me on her podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, was starting a publishing house. And I, and we had had a wonderful experience when I was on her podcast. She loved my memoir trove and um, crowed about it. It was, it was, she was really a big supporter of Trove. And as soon as I wrote to her and said, I have a novel, she said, send it to me. And a week later she had read it and made me an offer of publication. Oh, um, that's so cool. Magical. And then I did it. I did a little bit backwards. I then got the agent um, after that. And so, so the experience was very streamlined, a little unexpected, but um, the editorial process, it had a few bumps because they were figuring out their, they were figuring out editorial. I was one of their early, their sixth book to be published. But the best part about it has been the community um, because she's had some big retreats and I become dear, dear friends with several of the authors. Um, and I just love having these writers who are having this experience with this publishing house that I can lean on. We can support each other. We can shout out each other's books on social media. So that's been a blast. And then the other wonderful part was she does something really unique that is not that common in publishing anymore. And she sends us on book tours. I just had the best three months um, uh-huh. I can remember in a long time. I spent the summer touring with Wednesdays at one um, and what a journey that was to go to really interesting places, beautiful bookstores, many in coastal towns because it was the summer and that was sort of how we planned my tour and talked about the book. Um, it was it was fabulous. I found myself in really unique places, made a lot of new friends and um, and felt very grateful to have had that piece of it that so many authors don't get anymore because of um, budgetary um, issues and and, but this was, this was, a, this was a fun ride this summer. 
Yeah. And, you know, as a reader, I, I'm just so fascinated by how she's doing this because I love that it all feels so curated, you know, with only, it's only, I think it's one book a month that they mm-hmm. bring out. Right. And yep. um, it makes you feel like as a reader that you're seeing um, just a really well curated, um, you know, set of books coming at you sort of slowly throughout the year. And you know that it's got like the full weight of um, the publisher behind it and she's choosing so carefully. So I, I just think it's so interesting to watch, um, you know, watch it grow and see more books come out. And it's been kind of fun to just see that evolve and to get to read some of the books. So um, I think that's great and nice that authors are having such a positive experience, which I feel like you don't hear tons of, of lately. So um, yeah. And I think, I think the publishing experience is also very much what you make it. Um, I'm 58 and I am nothing but grateful that I have this opportunity to be a debut novelist at 58 is not very common. Um, and the way the industry is, it's very, uh, there's a lot of ageism. Um, I don't think, um, the middle-aged woman's story appeals to a lot of publishing houses or uh, as a debut. And yet, um, I feel like what a gift that I get to do this. And the beautiful thing about Zibby Books is they were just open to great stories and they took a chance on this one. So, um, you know, every author, every author has their own experience with whatever house they're with. But, um, but I went into it really feeling grateful, um, grateful that I have a, have a novel out in the world and one that I'm very proud of. So, um, so I feel like it almost couldn't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm curious too. So you've been out on book tour and kind of had your promotion hat on. Have you um, been able to start work on a next project? And is it is it another novel if you have? I'm kind of curious about what's coming next. Yeah, it's, um, I have started another novel. Uh, it's called The Other Choice. It's about a woman who um isn't sure whether or not she wants to have children her husband her her fiance says if we get married no children she marries him makes the decision to be child free by choice and then her reckless younger sister gets pregnant and throws throws her life into turmoil so it's really about making unexpected choices and also different ways to become mothers i started writing it and i struggled to write it over the summer when i was traveling all the time. But now that the weather's a little cooler and I'm settling down a little bit, um, I'm finding my way into the story. And you know what? Those characters are showing up. I show up every morning. Oh. And they're doing they're doing what my Wednesdays at one characters did, which is they're like, you're here, we're here. So it's finally become kind of fun. Um, I even said that to my husband yesterday. I was like, he said, how was your day? I said, oh my gosh, my, my novel doesn't feel like a slog anymore. It feels you know, like it's the writing starting to get some momentum. So, so I'm excited about it. And I also feel like, um, I don't feel as attached to, here it is. Don't, you know, 100% commitment to the project, no attachment to outcome. Like I have my debut novel that feels so satisfying. I don't feel as desperate around this one. So, Mm -hmm. so I'm letting it, I'm letting it happen and still enjoying the book journey. I have a lot of other events coming up. So so it's it's now a balance. Do you have a similar 
routine to that sort of intense three month writing process? Or is this one more, um, I guess, like, what's your routine like these days? Are you still trying for a 1000 words a day? Do you have a different process you're doing? It's funny, you know, I, I started saying a 1000 words a day, and writing that number at the top of the document. And when I reached that, I could fold it up and go do my other work. But I'm finding that I'm going over a thousand and I don't put the number on the top anymore. I'm letting it happen a little more organically. I write every morning um, after I do some meditation and um, I have my black coffee, some meditation. Sometimes I do the morning pages, Julia Cameron's morning pages, which are have been um, a great aid to me in the writing process where you just write three pages longhand without thinking what you're writing or cognating in any way, just scribbling out, kind of emptying your brain. And then it, it prepares you for um, it. It cleans you out a little bit, let's say, and, <laughs> um, and gets you ready to actually do the work that you need to do. That's more thoughtful um, and focused. So, so I have a bit of a routine. I often get up around six and I'm not actually at my writing desk until 7.30 or so because there's coffee, there's meditation, there's morning pages, there's Wordle. Um, but it's it's those morning hours when it's still a little bit, you know, dark and gloomy that I can do my best work. That makes sense. Um, well, you know, the last thing I'd love to hear about is um, a bit about your reading life. Have there been books that you've um, connected with lately that you'd want to recommend to readers or I'm sorry, recommend to listeners? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. Speaking of Zibby books, I've, I've read all of the Zibby books and um, I'm now, um, I just finished Patty Lynn's end credits. Um, and it's, it was wonderful. I, I just gobbled it up because um, she talks about, um, working in Hollywood as an Asian American woman. Um, she's a, she was a TV writer for shows like Desperate Housewives and um, Friends. And it gives the dirt on Hollywood, gives the dark side of Hollywood, but it's also a story, the journey of a woman becoming a writer against a lot of odds. And I had a similar experience like she did. I worked in New York, um, in publishing as an editor, then I went out to Hollywood. I worked as a literary agent. So, so I'm a, I'm a, she's a, she's a few years behind me. She's a little younger, but the journey is really fun for somebody who's always been in that world or felt aspirational about that world, the, the big writing world of TV, the big world of publishing. So it was really fun and identifiable. Um, I just closed that. And then the book that just comes back to me that, resonates. I see it everywhere and rightly so is um a demon copperhead by Barbara King Solver. Like what a what a beautiful layered story. I keep hearing that one recommended and I haven't gotten to it yet. I've also heard it's great on audio. Um I feel like I've got to add that to my list. Add it to your list. It it deserves the Pul it deserves the Pulitzer. Well, I um, just so enjoy getting to hear more about your writing journey and process. And I really hope that listeners go pick up Wednesdays at one if they haven't already. And um, best of luck with all the promotion and with writing the second book. I know we'll all really look forward to getting to read it when it's done. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been really fun talking to you. 
For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.